1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Amen. Now, we've been talking about humbling ourselves and casting our anxieties upon the Lord. Tonight, I want to divide our text into two parts. First of all, from verse 8, the exhortation to be sober in spirit or sober-minded and alert. Sober, spirit, sober in spirit or mind, sober spirit, excuse me, sober in spirit or sober-minded. Sometimes it depends on which translation you're using there. And on the alert. And then, secondly, to resist the devil. So being sober and resisting the devil. Now, the Bible, of course, says not to be drunk with wine and do not be drunk uh, with intoxicating beverages. But here, I think Peter is saying that we are not to be drunk with this world, but rather we are to be sober in our spirit, in our soul, um, means that we are to be of a spiritual awareness. Uh, we are to be alert to matters that are concerning our own soul. Now, if you take, for example, somebody who is uh, inebriated because of alcohol or drugs, then we know that often the case is that they have lost some of their senses and they do things and say things that um, are not fitting. And Peter here is saying that just as a drunken man loses his senses about him when it comes to his body and his mind, uh, he is warning us that we should not spiritually sleepwalk in foolishness, but we should be sober, we should be mindful, we should be aware because we are involved in a spiritual battle. Uh, we have a wicked adversary. Satan is looking to devour God's people. And Satan here is compared to that of a roaring lion. Satan wants to destroy your soul if he can. He wants to make shipwreck of your walk with the Lord. He wants to incite you uh, against the Lord's commandments, even as he did David when David uh, violated the command of the Lord and took a census. Satan here <clears throat> by the apostle is compared to a lion. Now lions, if you watch the National Geographic programs, as uh, sometimes I do, um, they are not looking for challenges. They're looking for dinner. <laughs> They're looking to feed the den. And so what are they looking for? They're looking for the gazelle that's not paying attention. They want, it, they want the gazelle that is distracted, that doesn't notice the approach of the lion. They want a, a young gazelle or a weak gazelle that's not keeping pace with the rest of the flock. So if we apply this to Peter's exhortation here, what does that mean for us? If Satan is the lion and we are the sheep or the gazelle, what does that mean for us? Well, we need to ask ourselves, are we in the habit of skipping church? You know, skipping church is like leaving the flock. It's like wandering off from the, the herd. And you are vulnerable. If you begin to start skipping church, you're, you become vulnerable to satanic attack. Are you watching your own soul? Are you aware of your surroundings? The animals that tend to get caught are often not paying attention. 
as they should? Uh, are you not giving yourself to prayer and scripture reading? Are you not exercising yourself in spiritual duties lately? Have you become lax and careless about what you're letting into your heart, letting into your mind? Maybe excessive worldliness, excessive vanity? How about the company that you keep? Are you, are you keeping company with people that are dragging you down in your behavior, that are taking uh, you away from the Lord? Are you taking on their way of speech with cursing and swearing and coarse jesting? Are you dragging other people down by your behavior? Have you lowered your standards as to what is acceptable in forms of entertainment? Are you neglecting your wife? Have you grown lax? The Bible says God does not hear the prayers of those men who neglect their wife, who do not love their wife. Their prayers are hindered. Have you grown lax in the oversight of your children and the spiritual development of their own souls? Has it been a while since the secret place has seen any quality time with you? Are you wasting precious Sabbath days and hours? Satan loves victims who are not paying attention to their souls or the souls of those that are under their charge. He loves to pick off those who have grown cold or worldly, and he will take aim um, even at the most, he will take aim e even at the most devoted uh, when they're trusting too much in themselves. You think of Peter, where Peter uh, was certain he was not going to depart from the Lord. When Jesus made it known that, that they would strike the shepherd and the sheep would scatter, Peter said, oh no, Lord, not me. I, if everybody else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. And yet Peter could not even stand for one evening without denying Jesus Christ three times. He trusted too much in himself. The Bible says, take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. Peter thought himself so strong as to never be the disciple who would leave Jesus Christ. And yet uh, Peter does do that. And maybe if Peter had stayed awake in the Garden of Gethsemane like Jesus told him to, to watch and pray instead of falling asleep three times, maybe he would have been better prepared to withstand the temptation that came his way later. But he didn't. He was drowsy. And when the time came, he fell. Satan loves to find Christians who are becoming intoxicated with the world who have grown sleepy uh, with success, who no longer have a zeal for Christ that they may have had in their younger years, maybe full of fire when they were a college student. But now uh, time and uh, this world and its uh, pleasures and its duties have caused there to be a loss of that zeal and fire that they once knew for the Lord. Satan may be looking through this congregation tonight maybe going through our church directory, so to speak, and wondering who in this church can I pick off? Maybe I can pick off the pastor, maybe an elder, maybe a deacon. This is not just an exhortation for one or two of us. This is an exhortation for us all. Maybe, maybe Satan can pick off a young child or a widow. Satan, you have to realize, is a murderer. He's a liar. He's full of 
malice. He doesn't play fairly. And he doesn't mind attacking a widow or even a young child. Um, He doesn't want you to be sober-minded. He doesn't want you to offer him much resistance. He's looking for an easy kill or at least an easy wounding. Satan wants you to think that he somehow came from nowhere and ambushed you. Now, the Bible says he who is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God is greater than a fallen archangel. And so we are to be mindful uh, and to resist the devil, and he will flee. The Bible says that resistance, though, is required. The devil will often, if he meets with resistance, move on to other targets. When the alert and the A sober Christian offer resistance with sword and shield. But the lazy Christian, the the Christian who is drunk, will not be able to stand. Now, they may not die if they truly be a true Christian. They may not die and have God depart from them. The true Christian can be injured badly. And therefore, we need to make up our mind to enjoy the blessings of God and the Spirit by utilizing the means of grace and keeping communion. Now, how do we do this? How do we keep a sober mind and stay on the alert? Give you eight. There's a lot more I could give you, but I'll just give you these. Number one, keep close communion with God. As you go about your day, pray short, regular prayers to God. Fellowship with him, thinking about him. Meditating on him as you go. Keep close communion with God throughout the day. Number two, guard yourself against anything that you might feel is weakening your soul. Guard yourself against anything that you feel is weakening your soul. Now, they may be things that are lawful, but you're inordinately consuming them. Right? It may be perfectly lawful to listen to secular music, country music, rock music, whatever. And you can do it to the glory of God. But too much of it, you have to ask, what impact is it having? Is it it beginning to make a difference? Am I watching too many movies? And I'm, I'm, I'm being influenced too much by the movies that I'm seeing now. Or too much interest in the news. You know, the Apostle Paul said that it may be lawful, but it may not be profitable. Or it could be sports or entertainment. And we have to ask ourselves, what's the cumulative effect on me? Am I consuming too much stuff that might be lawful, but it's not profitable? And it's causing me to move further from the Lord, making me vulnerable to satanic attack. Give you an illustration. Maybe, for example, we all have to spend time in the car. And maybe that it's we're not using that time as well as we could, listening to a lot of worldly music and never using the time to meditate on something. I'm speaking to you, teenagers. <laughs> no, I need to speak to myself sometimes on this. But maybe there's something better to do as you drive than just simply tuning in to the radio. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be 
communing with the Lord. You know, one of the things I love is Bluetooth technology because now I can pray aloud in my car and nobody thinks you're crazy. You know, it used to be in the old days, boys and girls, you pull up to the red light, you had to watch around, make sure (laughs) nobody was around if you used to use your car time to pray. But now everybody assumes you're on the phone. And so it's uh, it's, it's all good. I I love Bluetooth technology. But using that time as we're driving to uh, seek the Lord and pray. Uh, Number three, I said there are eight, there's seven. One of those was an illustration. Uh, Use your time wisely. Stay sober by using your time wisely. Carve out time for your soul. Too much busyness, even in a good cause, such as hospitality, is eventually bad. You think Martha and Mary again. We talked about that this morning. Martha, busy about a good thing, showing hospitality, but at the neglect of something that was better. She, she forsook the better. <clears throat> now, another way I think we can stay sober-minded uh, is that we be engaged in regular devotions. Israel would offer a morning and an evening sacrifice at the temple. Um, I don't want to be hardcore on this, but I think it's a wise practice that if in the Old Covenant they were offering a sacrifice at the temple in the morning and also at twilight, I think it is prudent here that God's people as families also do the same. And In the morning, we have a brief devotion according to the abilities of the family and the age of the children, etc. The morning and an evening devotion you know, this is my favorite time to do it in the morning because, you know, you get to go in, you shuffle in, you start the coffee, and you plug the Christmas tree in, and it's pretty. This is a, this is a great time to do morning devotions before the sun gets up. you got your Christmas tree light on, and it's nice and a pleasant environment. Um, use those times uh, early before you get involved in the, in the busyness of the day to set your mind right. Uh, just to read a portion of scripture, sing a hymn, uh, to pray uh, briefly for the, the things that are before you this day. Offer those sacrifices also at night. I had a minister who once said that uh, a little Puritan in the mouth before bed is great for the soul. Little, meaning he would keep a Puritan book by his bed uh, on his stand at night. And just before going to bed, he'd read a page out of a a Puritan book just to give him something to go to sleep with. Avoid placing yourself in unwise situations. Uh, Satan would love to set you up, and sometimes the attack may come uh, preveniently uh, in that you put yourself in a situation. So you who are my fellow singles, Uh, For example, do not be alone with someone of the opposite sex in a private place. Um, I always say this to rising college students, that you beware that you do not spend time late at night in a dorm room alone with somebody of the opposite sex. That is unwise. That is is an opportunity for the evil one to attack. You are to be sober-minded. You're not that strong, and you should avoid situations like that that would dishonor the Lord and dishonor your witness uh, to others. Watch the company you keep and the influence they have on you. And then finally, remember the Lord's Day. Remember the Lord's Day. Now, verse 9, P 
Peter says here that we are to resist uh, the devil. He says, I want you to be sober spirit, on the alert, recognizing we have an adversary, recognizing we're not in heaven, we're in a place of warfare, though even in the warfare, God will give us occasional green pastures and still waters to enjoy, but nevertheless, <coughs> we are in a battle. And so we are to actively resist. Verse 9, it says, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. What does this mean to resist the devil? Resist him, firm in your faith. Well, it means that we not give in to the devil. And that is we not give in to evil. Now, how do I not give in to evil? Well, one of the ways is I need to know what is evil, right? If I am following Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I need to know what is the will of God for my life. What is it that God wants me to do? What is it that God does not want? This is where we need to know the commandments of God. We need to know the, the Ten Commandments. You boys and girls need to know the Ten Commandments. In order, you need to know the Ten Commandments because that's the, that's the baseline for what God would have you do. That, that, is, that is, the Ten Commandments is God's moral will for your Christian life. You see, once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now you've got to make a decision. What do, how do I serve Jesus as my Lord? And, and so what the commandments become, it's not a legalism that we're slipping in in the back door. Okay, Some churches and denominations think that somehow by seeking to obey the commandments of God, we're falling into some kind of legalistic trap. We're not. We're saying that this is what faith looks like, genuine faith, saving faith in Jesus is a faith that receives Jesus in his, the totality of his work, not just as a priest on the, uh, offering himself up on the cross, but as a king who has commandments and who is to be obeyed with evangelical faith, not in a slavish way like a slave who's fearing to be struck, but as a child of God who wants to please his parent, who wants to be obedient, and who wants to be grateful for what Jesus has done for them. That's what we're talking about. So it's not legalism. I remember one time I preached at the Southern Baptist Convention's um, local minister meeting here, and I preached on the fourth commandment. And uh, most of, by and large, it was well received, but there was one minister who did not receive it well. And, and I won't say which church he came from, uh, but uh, it's not far away. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, the church that has that, that fundamentalist tradition, that, that obedience to commandments is adding to the gospel. We're not adding to the gospel. We believe in grace uh, alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone for justification. And having been justified, we are to walk a life of sanctification. What does that look like? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it is not a legalism to say that we need to know the, the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments hang the whole Bible, right? All the law and the prophets. This is the sum of God's will for our life. Now, how do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how do I love my neighbor as myself? 
That's where the Ten Commandments break it down for you. The Ten Commandments are simply taking the two greatest commandments and they're breaking them down. The first four commandments deal with the greatest commandment. The latter six commandments deal with the second greatest commandment. How do I love my neighbor? Honor your mother and father. Don't commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. You know, do not bear false witness. Do not covet. That's how we love our neighbor. We, so if we are to resist the devil, then we need to know what is right and what is evil. Paul says it himself. How would I know what coveting is if the law did not say, thou shalt not covet? The apostle Paul in the book of Romans, which is the explanation of the gospel, says that the law is profitable. It's good. The law is good to those who use it lawfully. And, and, and so we are, we're not trying to justify ourselves by obedience to these commandments before God. Um, if, if you really take these commandments seriously, you'll see how much you need Jesus Christ. Because the, the harder you try to obey these commandments, I think the more you'll see how far you fall short of these commandments. And you'll see your need for Jesus Christ. So the law is to drive us to Christ. We go to Christ, and then we come back to the commandments, and we seek to live them out. And if I want to resist the devil, well, then I need to know what is right and what is wrong. I need to know the commandments. If I don't know the commandments, if I'm ignorant of the commandments of God, then I'm susceptible to the devil's suggestions. And I, unfortunately, there are many who uh, fall into this trap. There's a lack of discernment in the church. I was watching a discussion with <clears throat> John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul from a few years ago, and they asked, what is the greatest problem in the church today? And John MacArthur said, essentially, that it was a lack of discernment and a lack of knowledge of the scriptures. That, that we are, you know, I'll use the term, he didn't use this, but we are theologically thin, especially here in the South. There is great lip service paid to being a Christian, but there's very little understanding by way of substance. We have to train ourselves in order to give resistance to the evil one. Many of you uh, are into, into uh, physical training, and part of that is what they call resistance training, right? It is, we, we undergo resistance exercises to what? Strengthen our muscles for the purpose of staying fit. Athletes will split their time, often between the particular skill that they are developing on the field or on the court, but also they have another regimen, part of their training, is to be in the gym and devoting themselves to these things that they would be able uh, to have greater resistance and strength. So you, you want your football players to be able to do lots of heavy squats, uh, to build up the, the muscles of the legs so that when the running back gets hit, he keeps driving his legs. You know, the, one of the statistics they keep in football is uh, how much yardage does a running back get after the first hit? I mean, does he get hit and that's it? He's down? Or does he get hit and he keeps getting two, three more yards? And the NFL is looking for guys who can absorb that first hit and get a couple more yards afterward because it adds up. 
Now, Peter is saying that we have to resist the devil when he comes at us and hits us. And if we are to resist him, uh, when we take that fiery dart, that arrow, then we need to strengthen our spiritual muscles. We need to become spiritually fit. Now, this involves a lot of things. Um, to be a, a really well-trained Christian, it's going to involve the knowledge of Scripture, uh, a, a broad reading of the Scriptures, and a depth of understanding in the Scriptures. You, you, wanna, you want both broad reading of the Scriptures, you want to you read broadly in the Bible, but you also want to narrow down and maybe memorize a verse here or there. It involves not only scripture memory, but also catechetical teaching. Um, the, 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 the catechism is a, is a tool of systematic theology, very simple systematic theology. I, this probably, even in Presbyterian circles, um, gets, gets a lot of questions. Is this really necessary? Why do we do this? What's the value of the catechism? The catechism is, is a very basic systematic theology, basically. Your shorter catechism is just, here are the basics in a systematic understanding of, of what you need to know as a Christian, how to glorify God and what you need to do as a Christian to live before that God. And so um, catechetical study is important. Number three, um, meditation. In addition to regular Bible reading, that we, we meditate, we think um, on the things that we are reading or hearing. And that can be done when you're mowing the lawn, when you're doing the dishes, you know, taking those moments there and thinking on these things. Of course, prayer. Uh, there can be no resistance to the evil one without prayer. Remember that the Apostle Paul says that we are to put on the full armor of God with all praying. So if we are to resist the evil one and we are to be a well-equipped soldier for Jesus Christ, we put on each element of the armor with prayer. Psalm and hymn singing, I think, is important. This um, is the way in which, one of the ways in which the Reformation spread in the 16th century was through the singing of the church. The Reformation, one church historian said, was psalm sung. It was a psalm sung Reformation. Christian literature and also listening to uh, edifying sermons. Uh, YouTube has lots of good stuff on it. Now, standing firm in your faith means <clears throat> not being like a bottle, boys and girls, on an ocean. You know, if you take a bottle and you cap the bottle and you, you know, put the whole note in there, cap it, throw it in, you know. And what does the bottle do? The bottle just bounces. And any time there's a wave, the bottle goes up. And when the wave gets past it, the, the bottle goes down. And we are not supposed to be like a bottle that's bobbing up and down on the waves of a sea. We're not supposed to be somebody that is floating along with the current of the times. A Christian is one who is well-grounded. He is not easily swayed by the latest philosophy, the latest attack on Christianity, 
the, the Christian is to be somebody that is grounded, not chasing even the latest fad in the church. Um, you, 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 if you've been a Christian long enough, you see fads come and go, right? And, and, and uh, I don't know what the latest fad is today, but, but you definitely have seen a few of them after a few decades of being a Christian. No, if you are, so in, in order not to be like a bottle, uh, boys and girls, if we are to stand firm, then as I said earlier, you have to be discerning. And as MacArthur said, discernment is a real problem in the church. We have all kinds of churches. We have sentimental churches. We have feeling-oriented churches. We have therapeutic churches. But we're not supposed to be theologically thin churches, feeling churches, sentimental churches, therapeutic churches. Paul tells us what kind of church we are to be. 1 Timothy 3.15, he says that the church is to be the ground and the pillar of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I've been in homes of people in other churches here in town sometimes, and my eye will fall upon a book that's on a coffee table uh, or, or something like that, and I think, ah, oh, and it pains me because uh, the, the author of the book is just not one of the better persons that you need to be reading. Um, not saying that it's outright heresy, but really, is that the best you can do? There's so much better material out there, but people don't know a lot of times. Uh, there's, there isn't this discernment. And uh, we are not to be theologically thin, but theologically thick. David resisted, you remember the bear and the lion when he was overseeing the father's flock as a youth? And uh, he, he, he uh, resisted, and, and it gave him the courage then to take on Goliath later. We are to be wary of the evil one's attacks and be prepared to offer a counterattack. We are to resist the devil also by glorifying the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the ways in which the devil seeks to attack you and attack the church at large is by moving you away from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Especially if the devil can move you away from the cross of Christ. We are supposed to glory in the cross, in the cross of Christ, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go to the cross, that the Son of Man was going to go to the cross, Peter said, oh, Lord, forbid it. And Jesus' response was what? He knew it was a satanic attack. And he said, Satan, get behind me. That Peter was not setting his mind on the things of God, because if you set your mind on the things of God, you will glory in the message of the cross. Paul said that I preach Christ and am crucified. Paul's always preaching the cross. The reason he gets onto the case of the Galatians so severely is because they were moving away from the cross. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Did you begin with the Spirit only later to perfect yourself with the works of the law? What, what happened? They were moving away from the work of Christ alone for their justification, and they were beginning to adopt a view that they needed, in order to be justified before God, they needed also to add the ceremonial works of God, the ceremonial law, particularly circumcision as Gentiles. 
And, and so Paul is, is saying, this, this is of the devil because it's another gospel. And it, if anyone brings to you another gospel, even if it be an angel from heaven, if an angel comes to your bedside tonight and tells you there's another way to be justified other than the cross of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says, let him be an anathema, accursed. Satan is always trying to drive people away from the cross. The devil was trying to move the Galatian church away from the work of Christ to ceremonial regulations. So resisting the devil means standing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just adhering to the Trinity and the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. There are other churches and denominations out there that also affirm that, but do not preach the gospel. And if we are to resist the evil one, then it means that we must also hold, promote, and protect the gospel from aberrant deviations that seek the glory in the works of men to have standing with God. Jesus said it this way, those who boast in their works go home unjustified. Those who cry, have mercy on me, go home justified. Those who say, God, look at me, look at my prayer life, look at my fasting, look at my tithing, they go home unjustified under the wrath and condemnation of God. But those who say, Lord, I have no righteousness to give you. I plead not my own works, only the works of Jesus Christ. They go home saved, justified. Satan does all that he can to move people away from Jesus Christ either by way of addition and thus abandoning justification by faith alone or by moving them away from the person of Christ. Satan must be resisted when he seeks to offer another Christ, another Jesus, a, a Jesus of a liberal church, a liberal mainline church, a Jesus who doesn't really perform any miracles. The miracles can be all explained. A Jesus who is not truly the Son of God in the sense that Nicaea states it, very God of very God. A Jesus who did not die uh, for sins, but died as an example for us. A Jesus who did not bodily rise from the dead. This is not the Jesus of the scriptures. This is not the true Jesus. Satan wants you to follow that kind of Jesus. Because that is not a Jesus who saves. That's a Jesus who's some kind of Christian, not the Savior who is to be worshipped. Satan tries, he deceives others. He offers them a Jesus, the Jesus of the Muslims, who's a mere prophet, but a prophet inferior to Muhammad. Uh, the Jesus of the culture that tolerates sexual immorality, homosexuality. A Jesus of the Gnostics who doesn't really become a real person in human flesh. Uh, there are varieties of Jesuses that are offered out there. So not only does Satan try to move you away from the work of the cross, the works 
of Christ in the gospel, but also move you away from the person of Christ. And so we have to know the right Jesus Christ. Who is the Christ? Which Christ is the real Christ? It has to be the Jesus of the scriptures. That's why you must know your scriptures. You must know who Jesus is. How do I know who Jesus is? I know him as he's revealed himself to me by the Spirit in the scriptures. And so I look to what the scriptures say about Jesus in order to know him. <coughs> Peter says, resist him, the devil. Firm in, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Peter closes this verse out by saying, this is not unique to you. This is something that is common to the Christian. In fact, some of your brothers and sisters have it harder than you have it. They, they have to resist the devil, and they don't have access to the means of grace the way you do. They can't even publicly worship God in the way that you do. And yet this command is binding on them too. They too must resist the evil one. But Peter's saying these sufferings are happening to brethren elsewhere in the world. You're not alone in these sufferings. The Lord Jesus Christ, though, is with us. We can resist the evil one. We, we want to recognize that we are not subject to the devil. We belong to God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You have the scriptures, which are a light under your path. You have the sacraments that strengthen you. You have the fellowship of the saints to help you, that you need not walk by yourself. You need not have to resist by yourself. There are others there to come alongside and help you. God has graciously given us all manner of means by which we might resist him. And the good news is this, too, that when we resist, the Bible says that he flees. When we resist, the devil flees. The devil came at our Savior, we know, it three times specifically. He came at Jesus more often than that. But what did Jesus do? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the, we are told in the Gospels that the devil went away. Looking for another opportune time. Resist the evil one. That's all we have to do. We're not called here in the scriptures to defeat the devil. We're not told to overcome the devil. We're not told to challenge the devil either. We simply resist. And he will leave. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight and Thank you, Lord, for uh, these exhortations from the Apostle Peter. Thank you, Lord, for comforting us when we are satanically attacked. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the full armor of God. Thank you, Lord, for prayer and the means of grace. Thank you for the Spirit of God within us who's greater than him in the world. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.